0: And uh, we are recording this on the eve of you uh, being able to give Jordan Peele nah. his uh, his very cool award at the uh yeah, screenplay LA. yeah
1: for Get Out,
0: yeah um, a really really good movie number one good movie but but a, but a, you know what I you know what I here's what I love about Get Out in particular what I what I love about it is that it uh, it it takes a genre that normally is not taken seriously you know it's a horror film genre it's it's a, it's the, the Stepford Wives, mm. it's, you know, body snatching, body switching stuff, it's mad scientist kind of stuff. But it uses that as a vehicle for ideas that would normally wind up in a much more highbrow movie that would never hit its intended audience. It's intended audience, because he
1: understands that these jokes, this, these concepts have to speak to these two different audiences. Yeah. These moments are going to hit these dif- these audiences different ways. Yeah. And he figured that out, so can't wait to... Uh, Give Jordan yes. Peele the Los Angeles Film Critics uh, Association Award as him Best Screenplay. Yep. I wrote a little speech. Gonna give it to him. Gonna talk it up. Gotta tell Good. you, can't be happier. Uh, that The brother is gonna be given the <laughs> brother an award. It's kind of, it's kind of fun for me.
0: Oh, it'll be, it'll be neat to meet him. What yeah. a, what a, what a talent he is. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's, let's dive in. We got a lot of stuff, stuff that was kind of left over from last week. So let's, let's jump right in. Um, uh, on, on the doc front, I want to make quick mention of a couple of things. Because it just never leaves the the news cycle. So we've got two here. Uh, we've got uh, Trump: the art of the insult, and trumping democracy. Real real money, fake news, your data. Um, these are these are flip sides of the uh, of the the current political situation. So uh, the, the, the Trump: the art of the insult is a lot more serious than it looks. It looks like it's some, some kind of you know hunky yeah. thing. Actually, it's not. Um, it it is a look at Trump's rise politically and in in business, but particularly during the uh, the presidential campaign, um, about how the how he uses insults, particularly funny insults, uh, demeaning insults, as a political tool. It's actually quite interesting. It's maybe not as deep and probing as it as it could be or as it should be, uh, which is weird because it's an hour and a half long. But it's very well documented, and uh, I I I thought it was in many respects very persuasive. Mm. Um, uh, trumping democracy is from uh the uh, people at cinema libre and cinema libre is a progressive leaning uh dvd company primarily progressive causes so you know exactly the angle this is coming from uh they are horrified by the trump presidency and the uh <laughs> this is entirely about trying to connect the dots and certain things which to be honest It's already obsolete because Bannon factors into this, and I guess in the new book, yeah, the new book and all that stuff, recent book anyway. But nonetheless, you know, if uh, if you're if you're if you're you know a big anti-Trumper and you're still wrestling with your 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 feelings, and you know the the year hasn't made it uh, any easier. Trumping democracy might, might go a little bit uh, into into helping you through your, your crises. Uh,
1: do you want to do you want to take a look at this? Uh, gigantic? Or Oh,
0: you're gonna move on. Let's segue to that after okay. the PBS stuff. I okay. want to. Uh, you know, we've had some PBS stuff that also accumulated over the uh, over the holiday, and um, this is all really good. I'll I'll make this as quick as possible. Uh, great collection of PBS uh, titles here. Eclipse over America mm-hmm. from Nova. It uh, deals with the recent August 21st eclipse, which you saw it in St. Louis. Saw it
1: in St. Louis because as it happens, we were right in the path of totality. That's fantastic. I saw both that eclipse and the one before it, some 30-odd years before wow. it as a teenager. Wow. I saw them both from my mother's backyard. No kidding. As a teenager in St. Louis, uh, total totality right across St. Louis. I was in my mom's backyard this time last, uh, oh, I guess it was last year, August 20th, in my mom's backyard. Total totality with my little brother. And you know, you know oh. where I'm going to be when the next one comes? Where? In my mom's backyard <laughs> because it's going to crisscross across the country in the other direction – uh, but but again, St. Louis will be in the path of total. Uh, of, That's total. great. And I was talking to my mom about that. I was telling you know, mom, in another, I think, I think it's like seventeen years or something before the next one comes. Uh, mom is going to come through. It's going to be right through your backyard again. She's like, well, I'll be here, sweetie, <laughs> so y'all can come on by.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, so we another really good PBS documentary narrated by Hugh Bonneville of uh, the of Downton Abbey and also the new. Uh, and ongoing, and hopefully uh, will be around in a long time, Paddington series, which my daughter absolutely adores. Uh, so this is Martin Luther, the idea that changed the world. I, uh, I was a history major before I was a film major mm-hmm. at UCLA uh, for, for about a year and a half or so. And uh, as a history major, I, uh, I, I studied, among many other things, European uh, religious history and Martin Luther and the Reformation in particular, read a lot of Martin Luther. Fascinating guy. Mm-hmm and uh really really fascinating and this is a uh this is a very very good doc that deals with the role that Martin Luther played in sort of changing the course of history not just from a religious point of view not just for christians but in, in terms of so many other ways, uh, the, the, the ways that the laws in Europe have changed, the cultural changes in Europe, the things that divide um, Eastern Europe from Western Europe and Northern Europe from Southern Europe, all of these things factor into this. And, you know, people don't realize Martin Luther really didn't plan to invent a new branch of Christianity. No. He wanted, he, wanted
1: to, he wanted to reform.
0: That was it. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. But what was missed at the time was that there were a lot of forces within the Roman Empire, especially German peasants, mm-hmm. who felt they were getting the short end of the stick. And this was a great way to sort of piggyback your political concerns onto a religious schism. It's all fascinating yeah, yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah. The schism was not the intention. It, it, it was but the result.
0: It was the result. Yeah. Uh, mindfulness goes mainstream techniques. This is a three-disc set. Um it's a little, you know, new agey for, for my taste, but it's it's all about sort of meditation and mindfulness and how to focus your mental health and, and you know, your overall wellness and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It's a little it's a little kind of uh you, you know, new agey yoga-y, but uh without sort of necessarily being faithful to all of those ideas, all of those Eastern ideas that inform it. Um but nonetheless it's interesting it's it's you know maybe not three discs interesting but it's uh it's interesting. So uh that is mindfulness goes mainstream techniques and I'm sure there will be more to that. <coughs> Excuse mm-hmm. me. We've got three from the nature series here uh the lady one little elephant. Oh about that baby elephant. Oh it's the sweetest thing yeah. in the world. So sweet. Um baby elephants are just the best thing ever. That little little fuzz on them. Anyway anyway uh... this is you know that about that orphan elephant and um it's a really really wonderful story it's really 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 sweet and heartwarming and uh... I, I can't say a bad thing about it h is for hawk a new chapter uh... this is uh... based on uh... the uh... best-selling book by helen mcdonald which is a story of uh... a a daughter a grieving daughter who um uh... you know uh... adopted a hawk basically and, um, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very sweet. Um, it's worth checking out. It's, uh, you know, hawks are not exactly the, the kindest yeah. things to, but, yeah. but, you know, it's it, like, I wouldn't recommend anybody get a hawk for a pet. No. Uh, but nonetheless, it's very, very good. And then Charlie and the Curious Otters with Charlie Hamilton, Joe, uh, James, who is a, uh, a wildlife filmmaker and conservationist, um, I just like this because I like otters. I just think otters are funny. I don't have any great sort of uh, ecological attachment to them or anything. I just think they're funny, and uh, they make me laugh. So uh, give me as much otter footage as you can. Underwater, above water, cuddling, mm. eating things, eating raw fish. I don't care. It's funny. Uh, and then a couple of very, very topical Frontline docs. I don't know what they do at Frontline. These people are amazing. They turn these things around in a in a heartbeat, and they're always really, really, really good. Uh, Mosul uh is uh, this is actually a two movie set. Um it includes the documentary Mosul which is the main thing on here and then there's also Inside Yemen. Uh you know, pretty amazing. Um the battle to to drive ISIS out of Mosul and then Inside Yemen which is looking at the uh the humanitarian crisis of the of the war inside Yemen which is, you know, fronted both by Saudi Arabia and Iran, it's a proxy war. Uh very very good. And then much more timely considering that we have recently had uh, uh, tweets about buttons, uh, North Korea's Deadly Dictator. This yeah. is a frontline documentary about the guy with the little button uh, as opposed to the, the our guy with the big button that we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, so th- this this begins essentially with the... Uh, the what would we call it fratricide of Kim Jong Un's brother, yeah, and um, takes a very very penetrating look at him and his background, his upbringing, talks to people who knew him, and uh, I emerge from this thinking uh, this guy's nuts. Mm. I mean, he's crazy like a fox, but he's still nuts. Yeah. So that that family has mental illness in it somewhere. Anyway, um, anything that deals with North Korea is fascinating to me. Uh, absolutely, and a little, um, you know. I mean,
1: he went to school. If I'm not Switzerland, in
0: Switzerland, yeah.
1: And you know, so in, for whatever reason, I knew that from years ago. Yeah. Uh, when I was when I was, and I and I had always thought that something about that alone. Because yeah. that's what they, they they'll do. They'll you know they'll secret these sort of uh, uh, you know destined children off to places to get their education. And I always think, well, you know, there's no way you can go to school in Switzerland or in the United States yeah. for that matter. Spend your formative years here. Yeah, and then not go back to you know whatever nutty country you came from. Um, uh, what's Hafiz al-Assad's son yeah. who, who rules Syria now? Yeah, uh, who was an optometrist and went yeah. to Harvard or, or yeah. Yale maybe or whatever. You know, but nevertheless, there's something about the nature of where they're from, no matter where they're that insinuates itself it, back in, it, it, it and it the does. crazies right there. I have to know that both of them know better.
0: Yeah, you would
1: think. You know, I'm you sorry. Think. Yeah, you just—I know how this all starts. I feel it was Bashir. Bashir, yeah. Yeah, I know he knows better. Of course he does. You know, but but nevertheless, you know what? I get to run the country. I become mean and merciless. That's there you it, go. You know. It's crazy. Uh, sh- shall I knock out the?
0: Let's 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 talk about this. We we got Criterion. Uh, what we got a box, criterion, man! This is this is maybe the gnarliest thing Criterion has ever released. The, well, the physical box itself is—you uh, know—I mean, it's, it's
1: it's as big as a masonry brick <laughs> the One that used to build a house. One hundred years of Olympic films, 1912 to 2012 uh, is the period that it covers, which covers some uh, 40-plus Olympiads. Uh, and some fifty odd films, fifty three movies, and forty one editions of the Olympic Games themselves. The uh, the Winter Games are coming up here soon. Look, we hear from all of the filmmakers that you would imagine that yeah. you would hear from in this box set. It's uh, from Criterion. Uh, it would take a
0: whole separate show to get into this. This is a this is a this is a cinder block. Yeah, is what this is. Cinder block. Yeah. And uh, you know, if you if you love the Olympics. You're gonna love this. If you just love really good sports documentary filmmaking, you're yeah. still gonna love this. This uh, is like
1: thirty for thir- thirty times uh, yeah. a
0: thousand, uh, and yeah. all of
1: the, the, the Jesse Owens and all this sort of like it's, classic stuff.
0: It's unbelievable. Lenny it
1: really, Lenny but you hear from Claude Lelouch, you hear from Milos Foreman, you hear from all of these it's people.
0: It's amazing. It really is amazing. I mean, it, it it would take you months to just dig through even a fraction of this thing. So, it's um, you know. Uh, I don't know if I can recommend this just to everybody because yeah. this is quite an investment. Yeah. Uh, you really have to love sports and love the Olympics and love documentary filmmaking, but... Criterion has really just killed it with this. I mean, this is really one of their their elite releases, and they uh, they did a great job. I mean, they did a really really good job. Nearly you know, four hundred dollars retail. You can it can be had for two, two yeah. twenty
1: five, two fifty, whatever.
0: But but you know, it's a it's a commitment. But here's the other thing too is that you know there are only about forty some people at work at Criterion, mm. and uh, these people all pull their weight. They they just kill it every single time out. And uh, this this is this is a, a passion project. This is a real. Real work of love, and uh, you just have to tip your hat to them and just say, "You know, you guys restored these things, you curated them, you put them together, you packed it all up in a big box, and you put a big, big price tag on it, and you didn't care because somebody is going to love this and they're going to buy it, and good for you. That's just that's the way a company should be run." And what's
1: lovely is so uh, it's many of those who will end up in the uh, collections of places like UCLA. Absolutely, blah, blah, blah,
0: it absolutely. Really... This is a this is a service to to humanity. This is a historical endeavor. Yeah, and I'm I'm thrilled that they did it. It's great. Um, into what now? Well, let's let's get into the other
1: criterions, uh, uh, including uh, Young Mister Lincoln. Yeah, uh, probably I don't know. Among my favorite uh, uh, Abraham, so a uh, fictionalized version, obviously. Yeah. Of uh, the young life of Abraham Lincoln, directed by directed by
0: John Ford. Um, but but it, it's among
1: my favorite.
0: It's a it's you it's, know I mean
1: you go from this to that Spielberg film.
0: Yeah, and what I what I do love is. That this is not a just big old grand cradle of the grave biopic like the Spielberg film, it understands uh, Lincoln led a very large and and vast life, and if you really want to do justice to the man, you've got to you've got to pick a pick a moment, bookend some piece of his life, and this is great. That's what this that's because there really aren't any moments in Abraham
1: Lincoln's life where he is not even as a child, as a young lawyer uh... as a young congressman where he's not actually engaged in something rather extraordinary uh... generally speaking this is packed with all kinds of stuff by the way nineteen thirty nine film uh... black and white uh... and uh... you know it's it's an excellent film lots and lots and lots of extras
0: and then we get the breakfast club and uh... lots of extras here the breakfast club is an unusual film to wind up on criterion i don't think anybody expected that because there's been so many releases of the john hughes films and I think everyone just kind of felt like, well, that's, you know, maybe this means we're going to get Ferris, maybe it means 16 Candles. I, I hope this means that there have been discussions with Universal that we're going to put all the John Hughes films, uh, you know, of that Pretty in Pink. We're going, to, we're going to release them all eventually. And that would be great for them to all get Criterion releases, uh, especially Ferris. I'd love a Criterion Ferris. Tons of, you know, Breakfast Club is a really seminal film. We talked about this last week on Film Week. Yeah. And it is, uh, it's really the film of a generation for a lot of people. Celebrating an anniversary,
1: right? Yeah. uh, 25 years
0: It it was made in 1985, so we're... Plus, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. we're, yeah, 30 30 years on, right? Yeah. 20, yeah. Anyway, um, really, really good film still. Uh, One of the smartest films that uh, John Hughes wrote, and very contained, right? It's a bunch of kids in a room, basically. But uh, it's good. And uh, lots of extras on here, including a new video essay with um, uh, his original production notes that are recited by Judd Nelson. A 2008 documentary. uh, And then uh, nearly an hour of deleted and extended scenes, which is amazing. Never seen before. Really, really great for fans. Uh, and then 1985, NBC Today Show a segment with the cast. It's just so good. The Breakfast Club, one of the movie made best. a lot of movie stars. It did. didn't Some it? of those
1: kids had been around before. <laughs> Molly Ringwall had been but on it. Facts of Life as a little kid. Yep. Uh, but it made it just them movie stars for a while. Year. Anyway. You know, yeah. Yeah. They they were they were movie stars. Uh, Michael Haneke's the piano teacher. Um, you know, just an absolutely extraordinary film about a certain kind of sexual perversity, <laughs> uh, control, and as power. only Hanuky could do. Yeah. I remember Isabel Huper, yeah. You know.
0: I remember seeing this uh, with uh, with my wife, it was not my wife at the time, but we were both so, we walked out with the same feeling which was that is an unbelievably good and well-crafted movie and I just didn't need that in my head. They'll never need to see it again. <laughs> no. Although
1: uh, some people will, you know, but Michael Haneke, so you yeah. know, the piano, you know, white material. I mean, we can yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, we can
0: white ribbon. White right, right, yeah. ribbon,
1: that's really what I meant. Uh, 2001 film. This is anyway uh, a lovely Criterion um Election Edition, director-approved Blu-ray special edition with all kinds of special features on it.
0: Uh, I, Daniel Blake, Criterion release of the uh, the 2016 winner of the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, you know, uh, re- Ken, Lo- this was Ken Loach's second Palme d'Or, and a lot of people felt that this was not the deserving film uh, that it, it should have gone to any number of other films because this is very sort of. Boilerplate Ken Loach. But here's the thing, the first Ken Loach film that that was given the Palme d'Or was uh, The Wind That Shakes the Barley, which is a period mm-hmm. film, historical film dealing with the conflict in in Northern Ireland and in you know Irish independence and all of that stuff and is fact-based. It's not really a pure Ken Loach film. If you wanted to reward Ken Loach for the kinds of movies on which he has based his career, which are uh, very documentary-like, cinema verite-like mm. movies about Contemporary working class people facing, you know, struggles, and these very sort of anti-Thatcher, uh, sort of very left-wing uh, yeah. b- polemics. Then you get into a film like *I, Daniel Blake*, yeah. which is which is uh, a, a horrific tour of the um, the system and how it fails to serve a, a you know an un, a, an unemployed guy a guy who's now been you know injured and and you know needs to be on workers uh, comp and what the bureaucratic quagmire that he gets stuck in um, is is you know having to fill this out and then there's these catch 22s that we can't give you the money unless you do this and you can't do this unless you get the money and how am i supposed to dig myself Well, that's just that's the system and the system is just a monster and um, it it really is, you know, it's interesting that that Ken Loach is a guy who really believes in the welfare state, but this is kind of an indictment of its current mm-hmm. incarnation, its formulation. So it's not really as polemical as I think some people might think. It really is, it's provocative. It's a, humanin-
1: it's, it's, it's a movie by, uh, uh, he, yes, he's a socialist, but but he's a humanitarian socialist. Yeah. What he's really talking about is the human condition here, the system, even this quasi-socialist system, or no, not quasi-socialist, a socialist system. Um, is still failing because it's not seeing the freaking human Yeah. this will fail whether you're a communist or whether you're a socialist <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make any difference uh, yeah. or whether you're a, a capitalist it's it doesn't the, make any difference it's the bureaucracy You have to. You, humans have to be able a good friend of ours Sherman Augustus is in yeah. a Ken Loach film called Bread and Roses yeah. uh, Sherman is in that movie uh, interestingly uh, I Daniel Bray, Blake and I Tonya, Yeah. the same movie it That's kind funny. of is yeah. good point end of the day end of the day yeah. same movie I grabbed Matt over here yeah. just because uh this is a 1993 film that i happen to have done the junket for It's a joe dante film oh, that's so good. i did the junket for the john, john so much fun. film. it was just the neatest film and, and more or less about uh yeah, it's, it's it's a film set in the 50s about an old hollywood producer who would produce those kind of uh wacky films where they would have the stingers in the chairs and the and all that kind of stuff and it's just a it's just a funny funny film uh, that loosely refers to the kind of films that Joe Dante grew up watching. Uh, and it's, it's, it's sweet and it's neat. This is full of all kinds of neat stuff, including a um, an interview with director Joe Dante. Um, I happened to have inter- uh, interviewed Joe Dante, oh, a couple of years ago, I guess, for a film uh, that he made that happened to have been, oh, maybe the second-to-last film of young Anton Yelchin. Uh, uh, that he made it was it was just a, just a, just anything anyway uh, matinee collector's edition good movie from Shout
0: Factory full of all kinds of special uh, features uh, give it a check out uh, if you would and then also from Shout uh, from the Shout Select line is a new Blu-ray of Macon County Line Sheriff Reed Morgan <laughs> uh, Macon County Line really a, a fascinating kind of a cult film from 1974. Uh, we, I, I think this is, you know, here's the thing. The early 70s, the late 60s and the early 70s were filled with all kinds of sort of neo modern westerns, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. Walking uh, Tall. Walking Tall. Uh, Macon County Line. Uh, we could even put uh, Badlands oh, in yeah. there, right? Oh, these yeah. are, yeah, these are all now. sort of, these are all predicated in the same idea, which came out of the 60s and in the early 70s, which is, this idea that um, the West is still with us, yeah. that there is still an outlaw part of the country, and it's, it's lawless, and it sort of breeds a sort of. And you could even argue that Bob, Bonnie and Clyde Bonnie maybe and Clyde. sort of. Instigated Billy, that. Billy Jack. Billy Jack, yeah, right? Yeah. They all belong to that sort of genre, which is interesting because that I think is an outgrowth also of war protests in Vietnam, mm-hmm. and um, this sort of sense that maybe we haven't really grown up as a country. And so you're looking at the country again through the lens of you know what it was a hundred years earlier, and and have we really changed? And Macon County Line is very walking tall. We, walking we said tall, is very yeah, much yeah, a part yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Macon County Line is definitely a part of that, and um, you know you can look at it as part of the, the, the juvenile delinquent exploitation genre as well. Uh, you know he's a tough sheriff, and he you know he'll he'll, he'll he will not be t- he will not have kids uh, have their way, but. It's much more than that, and it has it has lingered because of that. And, um, you know, it is it is pretty sharp. And the best thing about it is that uh, it's Max Baer who plays uh, Reed Morgan. Jeffro Bodine. Man, he was this is this switch on a dime. Uh, he was so goofy as Jethro on uh, Beverly Hillbillies, and here he just flips the switch, and, man, he is just... What's he, funny is, turns out, Jeffro could act. He could. Yeah. Boy, could he ever. So a lot of great features on here. Uh, the editor and uh, director Richard Compton both do uh, commentaries. There's a vintage featurette and a trailer. It's good stuff.
1: yes, yes. Yes
0: uh some of these yeah let's uh let's plow through you know what here let's yeah let's do let's do we got we got yeah let's do the warner Archive stuff The uh, yeah, warner sure. Archive stuff i yeah. think this
1: was left over from uh last week if i'm not mistaken yeah, yeah. uh the one i'll start here from warner archives uh kathy bates and jennifer jason lee and taylor hackford's Dolores Claiborne, yeah. which was an st- adaptation actually, of, a Stephen, of a Stephen King novel.
0: I actually really like this film. Uh, uh, it's, it's, I really l-
1: do. It's, it's a funny. Thing. For one thing, my wife was a big Stephen King fan. I used to buy her all the hardbacks. Yeah. I still have all of the hardbacks for 30 years worth of Stephen King. I, bu- yeah. I was buying her those things when we were in junior high. That's, mm. that, that's
0: how big of a fan she was of this.
1: This was a, was a particularly good adaptation. of It's of, Taylor, of the it's Taylor Hackford at his yeah.
0: artistic best yeah. because it's really kind of impressionistic. The way that he he, I mean, a lot of his shot on sound stages yeah. for outdoors. It's it's. Oh yeah, when that whole scene with yeah, and
1: so it's so it's it's a very good adaptation of the Stephen King. Very moody. Some some excellent performances, uh, including Kathy Kathy Bates and Jennifer Jason Lee, but also David Strathairn yeah as her very scary ass husband yeah, uh, and uh, and I forget the woman who played uh, the woman that she worked for in that mansion yeah, yeah. Uh, a line of dialogue that sticks in my head sometimes, Dolores. All a woman has in the world is to be a bitch. <laughs> you know what stuck with me for
0: twenty five years. Yeah. I get that in the current in the current uh, zeitgeist of yeah. things.
1: Go for it, baby.
0: And two others from the archive collection: uh, Michael J. Fox in Doc Hollywood, uh, which...
1: another movie that I did the junket for some twenty
0: five years ago. Michael Caton Jones, great uh, director from the UK, who came over and uh, and and did a, a very. A very a, a very underrated film, to be honest. Uh, you know, Michael J. Fox r- is really very very good in this. It's uh, I'm glad so I'm glad they kind of unearthed this and uh, and and put it back in circulation. This is from 1991. Young LL Cool
1: J in that movie, if yeah. I recall. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it was a neat little movie where he was playing a movie star. No, this is Doc Hollywood. This is the one where he's the doctor that has Correct. to go. it Has to go. I was I was mistake making the mistake with the one where he plays the movie star. No, no. But no. those were those early movies yeah. uh, in the nineties. Yeah.
0: This is this is post uh, Back to the Future. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's sort of trying to grow up as an actor, and uh, you know it's uh, it, it's interesting. It's a, it's a fish out of water thing. Basically, he's a doctor. He's you know he's just gotten his medical degree, and got to be a fancy plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills, but ends up stuck South Carolina. Yeah yeah and uh julie warner is just delightful in this and uh woody harrelson is very very oh good julie supporting some nuts about her i know bridget Fonda's is in this too uh it's a it's a it's a nice little 90s throwback movie and i'm glad they went and unearthed it i really am and then we also have Auntie mame with rosalind russell from the archive collection uh this is from 1958 and uh it's just it's it's still a really 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 fun film it, the director Martin Dacosca, uh Morton DeKoska sorry Morton DeKoska not really a guy who had a much of a much of a film career but kills it in this one uh really does a great job uh you know fantastic adaptation from the uh, the Broadway show which Rosalind Russell also starred in and um it's just a lot of fun 1958 early uh widescreen era lots of just glowing color it's great and you also get a music only track uh with the score, which is fantastic, and the trailer and the um trailer for the for MAME the musical.
1: Mm. Um I'm gonna, John Wayne is Brannigan. And not only I remember I, totally. I, I, this is an underrated John Wayne movie, sort of you know, middle to late John Wayne movie, uh where he's playing a contemporary, a, a character contemporary to the time that the movie was made in, which is 1975. He's playing a Chicago cop. And, and, you know, there was, I think it was McHugh. Didn't he play McHugh or something yeah. like that? McClintock or something like that? I don't know. Well, what McClintock. It was. McClintock. McClintock. That's what it was. So, yeah. so he had a few of those late yeah. career movies where he got to wear actual, you know, uh, a suit and
0: a tie and carry he, a gun and do kind of a Clint Eastwood He clearly saw Dirty Harry yeah. and thought, I don't like that Clint's getting all those yeah, parts. right one for me.
1: And and who wrote it? Christopher Trumbo is who wrote it. Uh, who's Dalton Trumbull's son yep. of course uh, and in this movie you get yourself Richard Attenborough doing some acting he plays this Chicago cop who has to go to the UK to grab this monster the mobster and, 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 and escort him back to the United States and of course all kinds of people don't want that to happen you get Mel Farrar, you get John Vernon this is just a really really strong know, um, yeah, I mean it might be a little uh, yeah, actually you know what this movie is actually still even pretty violent by today's standards it, it is, it, it is, as, as I think about For sure. it uh, so neat movie for on Blu-ray. Not a lot else on there, but your John Wayne is waiting for you.
0: So we are uh, we are loaded up here with a lot of stuff from Kino. Kino over the break released a lot of stuff, and we're just gonna we're just gonna go through this because Kino has there is a, there is enough classic movie stuff from Kino over the past few weeks to just occupy you for months. So we're gonna go through some of the uh, some of the best of it, and uh, I'm gonna start off with a little bit more John Wayne Legend of the Lost which also stars Sophia Loren and Rosano Brazzi. This is from 1957. Uh, Henry Hathaway, Western, perfectly wonderful. Um, basically, you know, it's, it's a Western in this sense. Um, it's a Western that takes place in the Sahara, but it's still basically a Western. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just wonderful. It's uh, got big stars in it, and, and who cares what the plot is, really? You're watching John Wayne and uh, Sophia Loren and Rosanna Brazzi. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but, yeah, it's a lost treasure movie, basically, and uh, it's, a, it's a very, very nice Blu-ray transfer. Uh, similarly enjoyable is a, is a legit Western, which is Burt Lancaster in the Kentuckian from 1955. Uh, Walter Matthau... Was a a shockingly young actor in this. This was his very very first film, and uh, it's he's he's amazing. He almost steals the movie from Burt Lancaster, to be honest. So you realize what a star Walter Matthau was about to be. Uh, John Carradine, Una Merkel, very very fun film. Uh, directed by Burt Lancaster, we should point out. So uh, the Kentuckian really really terrific western film from 1955 uh capture you know i mean look lancaster meant for this to be a, a total uh a total you know vehicle for his own stardom so it's a little bit vain but uh it's it's still fun it's still really really fun well couple we got these? yeah let's hit those
1: let's jump on to let me do the mercenary Uh, Which is a neat Franco uh, uh, Franco Nero, Tony Mastante film. What I love about this film, directed by Sergio Corbucci. So Sergio Corbucci originated the Django films. Yes. Uh, So he was the very first uh, director of one of those films that went on, I don't know, there must be 60 or 70 Django films. uh, All all the way through Quentin Tarantino's one, uh, where Django became black. <laughs> uh, which was fine, and you could do that in the Django film sure. because Django was all kinds of. Things. It was just you know. There's no rule. Just, you know. Django, by the way, is a Romany word. Oh, that's it, right. It's a Romany that. phrase. It means "I awake." It, yeah. It's not even a name. It's a phrase. It means "I work awake" in Romany, which is neat. This also stars uh, this movie, The Mercenary. Also stars uh, Jack Palance and Tony Mustante. Tony Mastante was the star of an early '70s uh, drama called, I think maybe. Oh, I want to say Tony Roma. Do yeah. you remember that? It, sure. It was like a little, it, it was sort of Biden on Beretta a little yeah. bit, you know, we would drive around it. So I don't know, that just popped into my head. Uh, neat movie uh, from Alberto Grimaldi and Sergio Cobrucci on Blu ray. Audio commentary from Alan Alex Cox on that one. Uh, and you also have Ceasefire. Which, is this, uh, which was in 3D, uh, a film from 1953. Owen Crump uh, wrote and directed this movie. This is a fairly hardcore sort of uh, World War II action film uh, that features some uh, – uh, Korean action film, I'm sorry – that features some actual footage from the Korean War. In this movie, wow, Uh, which I'm sure sure, archival, this that or the other thing, but nevertheless, pretty intense stuff in black and white. Um, This is newly restored HD uh, three. Again, it was it was in three D, early three D. Ceasefire, an amazing film. A couple of different interesting uh, special um, uh, features on this, including an in depth look at ceasefire, uh, an essay by Ted Okuda.
0: And uh, really interesting Alex Cox commentary on the, uh, the spaghetti Western classic Death Rides a Horse, which was directed by Giulio Petroni. Um, Alex Cox has, uh, for reasons that you understand when you listen to the, the commentary, has, is sort of invested in this in many respects. And um, it is, uh, this is one of the this is one of the better um, spaghetti westerns that a lot of people have sort of forgotten. Lee Van Cleef, John Philip Law, um, it, it's a really uh, very interesting film with a great Ennio Morricone score, and it's ah, an yeah. Ennio Morricone score that is not at all like what he did for the uh, the Fistful of Dollars yeah. and Good, the Bad, and the, the yeah, Ugly the sort of the, no.
1: Austere thing. No, this yeah. is big and this lush. Is different.
0: It's different. It's it's yeah. It's not like his yeah. It, it's just different and uh, great cast. Um it's really a a very sharp film made in 1967 kind of on the tail end of the uh, spaghetti western thing but right when it was sort of hitting a hitting a certain uh, crescendo. Um yeah, it's really good. And you also get Luigi pastili who was in for a few dollars more in there as well, so uh it's good. And then we also have Four Faces West, as long as we're on the subject of uh, westerns, this is going back a little bit to 1949. Uh, classic uh, Hollywood Western from the 1940s. Um, black and white, beautifully shot. Nice transfer here. Great cast. Joel McRae anchoring it, and uh, Francis D. and Charles Bickford uh, carrying, a, a, kind of picking up the rear. Um, William Conrad is also in this, which I thought was interesting because I'm, I'm just used to William Conrad being, yeah, okay, yeah. being a fat iron, guy on TV. Iron Side and uh, all that. Yeah, yeah or, uh, uh, not, Ironside, not right Iron Side. No, who's
1: got a cannon.
0: Canon. 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 Yeah. It's not with uh. Well, you know, one one was in a wheelchair. The other should have been in a <laughs> wheelchair. That's the difference. <laughs> oh, Man. that is brutal. Uh, and then very last here on this little western run, Burt Lancaster again in a movie. I'm 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 lukewarm on. Valdez is coming. Uh, this is from 1971 when westerns were starting to get a little bit. Kind. They were looking for their footing, and they were all kind of trying to take their lead from. Uh, uh Peckinpah films they got tend to get tended to get a little bit uh, sadistic. Uh there's some of that in this. It's uh takes you, know, Burt Lancaster plays a guy who's, you know, uh part Mexican, part American. Uh and he's he's it's all it's a little bit too revengey It's kind of death wish in the west in some respect. Um there's an interesting audio commentary by a film historian named Jim Hem- Hemp Hill which is very good and helps you gain kind of an appreciation for it. Otherwise, Valdez is coming. Late period Western that I'm, I'm lukewarm on.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, same kind of thing. A little bit like that Brandel film. Uh, um, uh, Brandel directed.
0: Oh. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name. It was a sort
1: of Western thing. Yeah. With it's Interesting. Carl yeah. Malden in that, too. Yeah. Um, uh, Joseph Cotton, Ginger Rogers, and Shirley Temple in I'll Be Seeing You, um, which is a really interesting movie in the context of what the theme is. So Joseph Cotton plays this soldier coming back from the war. And he meets this woman on the train. Uh, played by Ginger Rogers, who who is on furlough from prison for a murder for a manslaughter. To sh- it's absolutely fascinating right there. Uh, you know, I mean, you don't you don't see many storylines that interesting alone. You know, today you know, it, so kind of kind of a Selznick picture. Uh, audio commentary by also by historian Cat Ellinger and uh, Sam Dehan, uh in the original trailer. There since you went away. Um, also a film from uh, uh, 1944. It's a perfectly lovely film. Uh, Claudette Colbert, uh, Jennifer Jones, uh, also Joseph Cotton, and Shirley Temple uh, in this film uh, about a woman whose husband is away in the war, and she has you daughters played by Jennifer Jones and, and Shirley Temple and how she's dealing and coping with all of that uh, as uh, she, uh, her family is also taking on these borders who are living there, and including Joshua. just again a lovely, lovely film uh, that you don't think of much, and we don't think of Shirley Temple and Jennifer Jones, who were both breathtakingly beautiful, by the way, at this particular time. Sure. Claudette Colbert as well, and these films very you know interesting movies that were made at that sort of more or less during the war and post-war period. Very good stuff.
0: Uh, Interesting movie, just film history-wise, from 1939, a year when everything was released. I mean, you know, it was was Gunga Din and Gone with the Wind Wizard of Oz and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Everything, everything happened in 1939. It was amazing. Uh, One that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes is Intermezzo with Ingrid Bergman and Leslie Howard. Originally a Swedish film starring Ingrid Bergman and uh, just three years earlier, and they did a big Hollywood remake and brought her over to reprise her part. And uh it still it still works because Leslie Howard is great and Ingrid Bergman is amazing. And uh it's basically about a violinist who uh develops a, a, a who is magnetized by his daughter's piano teacher and uh it becomes a romance and uh, a devastating romance in many respects. Um, what's interesting about Intermezzo is that it's a film that is really very much a European film. Even in the 1930s, you can tell this is a story the Europeans were unafraid to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. This would never have been greenlit in Hollywood if it hadn't already been a successful European film. So um, it's a little edgier than you would normally expect for a Hollywood movie of that era. And, and for that reason alone, it is, uh, it is worthwhile. Uh, also, this is just a lovely film. The Young in Heart, uh, made in 1938, a Selznick film uh that is uh really just qu- quintessentially Selznick on so many levels if you've seen rebecca or if you've seen gone with the wind you you know you know sort of how the how relationships and how family and how fate all factor into Selznick films uh they're all things that that uh, he himself sort of was taken by and um and they 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 find no matter who's writing them no matter who's directing them they always sort of find their way in uh this is um there's a, there's a bit of a scam here about uh, trying to forge a will, and uh, it, uh, it, it's, it's, quite, it's quite clever. It's, really, it's very well written, um, based on a novel by I.A.R. Wiley, adapted by Charles Bennett uh, and Paul Osborne, and uh, just beautifully put together. Janet Gaynor, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Paulette Goddard. Wonderful. Yeah. And uh, then another film that I'm actually very, very fond of is The Garden of Allah, uh, from 1936. This is just barely on the beginning of the, the production code. So there are things that likely make their way into this that would not have had it been made a few years later, even though this is technically under the the code. Yeah. Um, this is also a Selznick film and it stars Marlena Dietrich and Charles Boyer two European imports who bring an awful lot of really, really interesting, uh, sensibilities with them. It feels almost European in many respects. The, uh, they you know this this uh this forbidden romance thing against the backdrop of the sahara desert it, with this amazing music uh it's just really really great um uh, richard boloslavsky directed this and that is significant because boloslavsky is considered one of the great uh theorists mm. and teachers of of acting uh stanislavsky was a was basically learned from boloslavsky yeah. so boloslavsky Got to make a movie, and it's it's very much a European film made in Hollywood in the mid '30s, um, just barely on the cusp of the uh, the uh, the production code. It's really really sharp, well worth watching. Wonderful lineage there.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, China Moon, nineteen ninety one film. I'm dropping. Uh, yeah. Again, I I I did the junket the China Moon <laughs> in nineteen ninety one. First time I met Madeline Stowe, so beautiful. Uh, I, I I actually I think I blacked out for a moment. Uh, when when, when I right. met when I yeah. met you know Madeline Stowe, Ed Harris, Madeline Stowe, uh, Ed Harris plays this cop, uh, and Madeline Stowe is this uh, woman who's married to this guy who's abusive, and uh, and, uh, and, and and there's a there's a killing, and, and Ed Harris because he is smitten by the breathtakingly beautiful Snow, Madeline Snow, Madeline Stowe uh, agrees to help her hide the body, uh, and the, but uh, you know he has this partner who's looking around. Look, this was the first time I also. Um. Uh, really, ha- got a sense of Benicio del Toro, who shows up in this movie, young, very young Benicio, well before the usual suspects, yep. I think. Uh and true and, and advanced Taylor. So this is one of those movies, you yeah. know, from back in the day that you see the to p- You well. see
0: people who are all gonna be popping up exactly. regularity because you
1: yeah. i saw him and I noticed him. I'm like, yeah. whoa, that guy that, that that guy can go. John uh John Bailey film, uh th- this is Neat John movie. Bailey, my yeah. gosh, whatever happened to yeah. John Bailey. Audio commentary on this, which is great. Uh Big Business, uh, which is Bet Midler and Lily Tomlin and Scenes from a Mall, which is Bet Midler and Woody. And Woody Allen Um in a uh, rare
0: acting bit, for it, yeah, another director, particularly yeah. by
1: the, this period, because Woody, yeah. you know, I mean, he, yeah, he, no, he popped into a few more movies, yeah. uh, by b- b- before he finished up with that. But w- interesting, he was working for Paul Mazursky, yeah, in uh, *Scenes from the like Mall*. Neat movie. Uh, the b- big business. Uh, I only barely remember that movie. I remember there was about these twins. Uh, that were born, uh, and and one of the, two sets of twins, and one set of twins got sent off to a rich family, and the others got sent off to the yeah. poor family. As one yeah. of those switchy uh, kind of things, that was a lot of fun. Seems from a mall. I don't remember a lot, but I do remember that most of it takes place in the uh, in the Beverly Center Mall over on a uh, lot. It Indiana. does, yeah. And they no, shot it all over there, you know, which it's has certain, been revamped. Woody, Woody Allen like, with his surfboard, and with weirdness. the white suit, it's of neat there. Uh, so two features there, both uh,
0: one from nineteen eighty-eight, the other one from nineteen ninety-nine, ninety-one. And we have three, three Stanley Kramer movies, which is either going to be a blessing or a curse, depending on how you uh, how you view Stanley Kramer. I like Stanley. Stanley Kramer was a... Uh, I still remember what uh, Tarantino said about uh, Oliver Stone after he made Natural Born Killers. He was so disapproved. He said he's like... What is he? He's like Stanley Kramer with style. His obviousness, <laughs> ob- Anyway, there's some, there's some real insult, and he, and, and he meant it as an epithet that yeah. he was comparing him to Stanley Kramer. But you know, Stanley Kramer was a was a guy who had a deep, deep social conscience, yes. and and it 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 inflected into all of his work, and it was his choices, and it right up to something like Exodus, you sure, know, which sure, is Home sure. uh, of the
1: Brave, and, and yeah, and it's, all, it's all it's all he his intention is what you need to be paying attention to in yeah. a Stanley Kramer production, because he produced more movies than
0: he directed so uh the first one is is the least stanley Kramer of all of these not as a stranger from 1955 which is kind of a programmer uh, has a really interesting commentary by uh, film historian troy howarth which give, kind of sets the the background for you uh robert mitchum is you know uh a, a just ruthless medical student who wants to be a doctor um but he's 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 not just a doctor he's just he's almost megalomani- megalomaniacally idealistic and um it 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 takes him on this this trajectory to where he has to um, how do I how do I do this without giving it away he 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 winds up not living up to his own expectations mm-hmm. let's just say that he he doesn't live up to his own expectations and what is that crisis of conscience and did he expect too much of himself and how does it affect people around him etc I mean it's a wonderful golden era uh, movie that has all kinds of great supporting performances in it Olivia de Havilland. Frank Sinatra, Gloria Graham, Broderick Crawford, uh, I mean, Lon Chaney, for crying out loud, Harry Morgan, Lee Marvin. It's ridiculous who shows up in this movie, all because Stanley Kramer could just get people into his movies. If Stanley Kramer called and said, I want you in my movie, you were in the movie. Stature. That's called stature. Stature. Uh, And then five years later, in 1960, he made the great, the classic, the wonderful Inherit the Wind uh, which is all about the you, trial. the yeah the, the the monkey trial, and uh, Spencer Tracy, Frederick March, Gene Kelly are all amazing in this, absolutely amazing. Uh, Harry Morgan shows up again; he's you know regular in just about everything at that time. Norman Fell, uh, eventually of Three's Company, is in this, uh, who would show up end of the decade in a very memorable moment in uh, The Graduate. I want you out of here <laughs> strange line reading in The Graduate I just watched that the other day I don't know what he's doing he's like snorting he's like coughing up something. he's like <laughs> I want you out of here <laughs> it's the weirdest thing anyway um, yeah it's a terrific movie really really good uh, it's been done a number of times since never as well audio commentary again by Jim Hemphill and then the last of the three is arguably one of the best Stanley Kramer films ever made uh, Judgment at Nuremberg uh, this is a fantastic movie uh, Maximilian Schell Spencer Tracy Burt Lancaster Richard Widmark Judy Garland Montgomery Clift Marlena Dietrich one of the most amazing all-star casts of all time of all time uh, this won uh, two Academy Awards it was nominated for 11 and um, it's just it is a truly truly legendary film it is still uh, one of the best of all time uh, William Shatner's even in this yeah. in a small part from 1961, and of course, by the end of the decade, William Shatner would be more famous than all these people. It's the weirdest thing in the world, uh, how fates can turn on a dime. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, that is that has a bunch of extras on it: tribute to Kramer, featurette, uh, another featurette, a trailer, and then a a, a conversation with Abby Mann, yeah. the screenwriter, and Maximilian Schell.
1: The I have uh, for Love of Ivy here, 1968 film from Daniel Mann. Uh, starring uh, Sidney Portier and Abby Lincoln and Bo Bridges and a few others. This is, um, you know, we were just talking about Stanley Kramer just a second ago, and the th- the thing about this film is it lives in that sort of same zone. Uh, not many people remember this movie, but I I always rather liked it. Uh, again, as a matter of intention, as we see this sort of black uh, these sort of black folks and white folks inter interacting in this very particular way, which has at the center of it at, at the center of it. Uh, a very positive intention. So you have uh, Abby Lincoln, who's a maid for this white family. She tells the white family, I'm going to go back to school. Uh, Beau Bridges, who has a crush on her uh, and, and really just wants doesn't want her to leave, decides that he's going to set her up with a guy, hopefully to dissuade her from leaving and going back to school, sets her up with Sidney Portier. I uh, think that Sydney, who is sort of suave and sexy and smart, will come in and and turn her head a little bit, but won't really be interested in marrying her, and that she'll decide to stay. Except that Sydney Portier has a set of different ideas about about what it is uh, they are going to do. It's it's really a sort of interesting film. Again, 1968, we're into this material. Daniel Mann, who directed "Come Back, Little Sheba," a lot of great movies, "Butterfield 8," yeah, uh, "Willard." Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean this is, this, is, this is really really great stuff and again he's just one of those guys who we sort of uh, have forgotten about over the years young Sidney Portier and Abby Lincoln, Abby Lincoln who was also an extraordinary jazz singer yeah. Uh, and was in uh, Ivan Dixon's wonderful movie, Nothing But a Man. That's
0: right. That's Abby Lincoln. Yeah. I, that is the same. You know what? That didn't even dawn on me. Yep. Yep. Extraordinary wow.
1: stuff. Extraordinary stuff. Uh,
0: a few others here from uh, Kino Lorber. We got Alan Dwan, who was a good B movie programmer back there. Alan Dwan made a movie called Driftwood with a uh, a, a wonderful young Natalie Wood, a post Miracle on, on uh, 34th Street Natalie Wood in 1947. Um you know what it, it this is it's just it's basically about an orphan and uh, her wonderful coming of age. Natalie Wood is just absolutely delightful in this. You can tell that she's just a huge star in the making and uh, it's just going to get better and better and better for her. Um, It's pretty workmanlike. Most Alan Dwan movies were at the time. There's nothing particularly spectacular about them. But look, Walter Brennan and Dean Jagger uh, support her beautifully. Margaret Hamilton back in there from uh, Wizard of Oz. Um, it's It's a very, very sweet film made for Republic Pictures before they went under. And uh, it's called Driftwood, and you see it for Natalie Wood. Yeah. And then The Whales of August by Lindsay Anderson. No, Lindsay August. Anderson, who was one of the, seminal uh, figures, uh, you know, with movies like If, of the uh, the British New Wave, the, the Kitchen Sink Realism group. Uh, Lindsay Anderson kind of tamped it down later in his career for 1987's Reunion between Betty Davis and Lillian Gish with Vincent Price and Ann Southern. This is just a lot of old people in front of the camera and behind the camera. Celebrating age—that's yeah. all it is. It's a celebration of age, and don't throw us out. We're we're worth something, and uh, it's a—it's really quite a beautiful, uh, beautiful movie. Um, the older you get, the more you appreciate it. To be honest. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's really quite touching so uh, from 1987 The Whales of August by Lindsay Anderson with tons and tons of audio commentary material and extras um, there's an audio commentary here with the producer Mike Kaplan moderated by our good friend and laugh colleague Stephen Farber mm-hmm. which uh, was a nice thing to discover and uh, then there are just vintage interviews and uh, you know, all kinds of fun stuff, but mostly interviews and featurettes. And it, is, uh, it's, it there's even a bit with Malcolm McDowell reflecting on Lindsay Anderson. It's really, really good. And then uh, Blame It on Rio, a movie that I have a certain fondness for. Me too. Uh, Joe part, Bologna. It, Joe Bologna. Also, it was written by Charlie Peters and Larry Gilbart. Charlie Peters happens to be yep. a very good friend of mine. Yep. Yep. So, Larry Gilbart, of course. Uh, Mash. Mash and Tootsie. Yeah. 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 So I've, I've never I've never had the courage to ask Charlie uh, what the process was, who wrote the first draft, who re- rewrote whom. I know they were never in the room together. Yeah. So uh, I'm tempted to think that Charlie wrote the first draft and uh, Larry rewrote him, but what Whatever, it's still a really terrific movie, and uh, you know, one of Stanley Donan's last films, and one of his last films, it sort of feels like a Stanley Donan movie in many respects. Uh, yeah, it's a little weird to watch this, you know, with all its sexual content and uh, you know, older man and younger woman stuff, Michael Caine, and you know, it's a little under the current situation, it, it's, it's, it feels it's a, a little thing. Demi Moore, of course, yeah.
1: and Christy. Was it Christy Swanson? It Christi... uh, it? No, is, it's the
0: it, it's. um
1: what was her name? Michelle Johnson. Michelle Johnson. Michelle Johnson. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then these two fathers, and they have these daughters, and yeah. then one father and the other yeah, daughter. Under the, and the current other the, in, in the and, current environment, yeah. it
0: feels a little pushing the envelope, but it's still a really good
1: movie. Yeah, I'm sorry to look.
0: The zeitgeist of the day is relevant, right? Yeah. Uh,
1: I know very well that that movie was considered extremely sophisticated on the day. <laughs> kind of like right. whenever we talk about uh, 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 yes. uh, Woody Allen. Uh Manhattan, nineteen seventy nine yep. and all the stuff going on in that movie. A yep. lot a lot of again in the in, in the conversations of the current day. True. We are poking at these movies. But again, yep. I remember in nineteen seventy nine, I graduated from high school in nineteen seventy nine, went to see that movie, and it was considered extremely sophisticated. It was. That's 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 what that's what we were thinking about at the yep. day. Uh speaking of Woody Allen, I have uh Twilight Time release of Woody Allen's nineteen ninety film Alice. Uh, which is
0: which is Woody in
1: dramatic mode? Yeah, it, 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 dramatic magical realism mode. Yeah. which he would do every now and again. You know, a yeah. Now, yeah, Alice. Uh, um, you got a yeah, Mia Farrell still. Uh, you have Alec Baldwin, and you have Alice, uh, who's playing his wife. He's yeah. some sort of high powered executive or lawyer or whatever the hell he is, and she's this sort of Upper East Side man, you know, yeah. sort of character that Woody writes, and we follow her as she sort of wanders through uh, the journey of her life as she figures out what it is that she should be doing with her life of relatively speaking privilege yep. and we have some really neat sequences when she smokes the opium and all that kind of, you know, kind of neat stuff anyway mm-hmm. um, uh... a neat film special features isolated music tracks is, is, is the only thing here Woody doesn't put a whole lot of special stuff in his movies he lets them stand on their own
0: also from twilight time is the uh... little scene 1970 adaptation of wuthering heights uh... emily bronte's only novel and when you've written wuthering heights you really don't need to write anything else Kind of you, you, you killed it right there. Um, the this is not as famous, obviously, as the uh, the William Wyler film with uh, Laurence Olivier, the old nineteen thirty, I guess that was thirty nine as well, that yeah. wondering height. and, uh, and not, obviously not as famous as that one. But that is also not the complete story. So uh, this is a, in many respects, this is a more faithful version. Um, interesting that Timothy Dalton, the young Timothy Dalton, playing the part of Heath, uh, of uh, Heathcliff here. Uh, really, uh, quite a quite a quite an interesting take on it. Um, Anna Calder Marshall plays Kathy. It is uh, it's not as sweepingly romantic. It's not as swooning, but it has I don't know. It feels it feels in many respects more faithful. So I I think this is definitely worth checking out, especially if you're a uh, kind of a Bronte completist. Um, noteworthy that it was produced by Sam Arkoff and James Nicholson of AIP. Uh, This was uh, one of their occasional attempts to go legit and to do something that was more highbrow and not an exploitation film. And it really works. And uh, of course, uh, directed by Robert Fuest, who is very, very talented with a wonderful score by Michel Legrand, just a beautiful, beautiful, lush score. Uh, Extras include a commentary track with film historian Justin Humphreys and uh, isolated music, as per usual, on all Twilight Time stuff.
1: Mm, Interesting, interesting, history. One of my uh, – this is a movie that I actually remember watching as a very, very, very young person, mostly because in it is Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg from, of course, the Avengers series. You you, you sold me. Uh, So, you know, I I, I, I was done. So, you know, I'm I'm like 10 years old when the hospital – uh, comes out, which was the part, uh, which was one in a series of movies from that period that included Airport and air, eventually Airport 77 and The Towering Infernal. Movies about urban or other sort of circumstances where everything was simply falling apart. Uh, and this was about an urban hospital in a big city uh, that was completely out of control, and you have this doctor, it's Petty Yeah, yep.
0: You know,
1: it's network only at a hospital, uh, is what it is. Arthur Hiller directing. Uh, uh, with uh, and, and it's just you know it, it's just it's just a really really powerful film. that's probably um, tweaked somewhat dramatically by today's standards, uh, but I think that films like this led to things like that series ER. I mean Michael Crichton uh, would have been a young man uh, in medical school when this film would have come out, and I think that you know films like a uh, or, or television series like ER uh are uh, sort of uh come out of uh stuff like this this Paddy Chayefsky this Arthur Hiller it's really really good stuff um, um uh so you know check it out not a whole lot on here special features include again an isolated mus- musical track in the uh in the original trailer uh, uh i was going to jump to oh, the yeah. L shape go room for it real quick go for uh, it. which is again um, a very interesting film considering the time in which it was made this is a 1962 film about a young woman uh, Leslie Caron, who Caron, who is pregnant, and she goes into to live in this, she's a little French woman, she goes to live in this London sort of boarding house with a whole bunch of midfits and weird people, uh, <laughs> as she considers whether or not she is going to have an abortion. Again, this is 1962. That's this is really this pretty is wild. this is pointed stuff that we're having. Yeah. You have all these people living in this house, including a young, a young Brock Peters. Uh, Anthony Booth plays a young guy that she sort of falls in love with on the floor. And it's all about how she comes to love, her L-shaped room and, and what she decides to do. Uh, it's based on, a, based on a novel from the same period. Uh, and I will pop over to another, we'll go back a bit to 1947, Otto Priminger film. Uh, Forever Amber. beautiful movie. Linda Darnell, Cornell Wilde, Richard Green, just this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful movie. about a, a, a climber, basically. you know it's, it, it's about a young woman who' born to a certain yeah. circumstance, who wants to make it up to another circumstance and what she has to give up to get there, including what would likely have been the love of her life. Good, good, good stuff.
0: Uh, From Arrow, we got some interesting stuff here. We got the Arrow Video and Arrow Academy. Arrow Video, of course, is the more popular pop culture stuff, and Arrow Academy is the artsier, criterion y stuff. Um, From the regular Arrow line is Michael Caine in Pulp, which was his, uh, he reunited with his uh, uh, Get Carter director, uh, Mike Hodges, who, of course, would go on to do Flash Gordon and other fun, wacky movies. Um, This is actually a really strange film from 1972. Uh, where Michael Caine plays a, a novelist who has written, like, you know, these these really very risque uh, titles, like My Gun is Long and The Organ <laughs> Grinder, right? They're, they're, not, they're not being very subtle here. Anyway, he is asked to uh, be a ghostwriter on an autobi- autobiography of an actor with very shady connections, uh, played by Mickey Rooney. You yeah. know, weird performance. Mickey Rooney's a very unusual casting for this and um what where that that doesn't of course go where you expect it to go it goes in all kinds of weird directions um i don't know how much i like this it was written by mike hodges as well and mike hodges just has a really strange strange sensibilities as as a as a writer and a director and Sometimes it works. I love Flash Gordon. Get he didn't, Carter. He didn't get write. I yeah. love Get Carter. He didn't write Flash Gordon. You know, Lorenzo Semple Jr. wrote Flash Gordon. But um, anyway, lots of uh, lots of extras on here, especially a new interview with Mike Hodges, which hopefully will illuminate it for somebody. It didn't really for me. There's also an interview with the uh, cinematographer Usama uh, Rawi, which is quite good. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's uh, you know I I guess I, I can recommend it as a rental. Uh, we also have. Best picture winner for uh, 1961, uh, The Apartment, which is uh, just an absolutely fantastic movie. Um, The Apartment uh, is, some might call it the best uh, all-time, actually 1960. 1960. 1960, 1960, best picture of 1960. Uh, Some would call it the best Billy Wilder film of all time. Uh, it's pretty close. It's a great film. It's I, re- diamond. Again,
1: extremely sophisticated material. When you look at it, we look we look at it from today's standpoint yeah. of view and it's like, but this is about a young woman yeah. uh, in an a apartment, in and, and Jack Lemon whose apartment it is, and yeah. these affairs had by these executives. So now again, when we speak of this today, in today's it, zeitgeist
0: it is Ugh. Fred McMurray yeah. playing uh, basically the Harvey Weinstein of the movie yeah. uh, it is pretty it is it you know it's pushing a lot of buttons there on the on the cusp of the, the 1960s so um, this is an unbelievable unbelievably beautiful disc. I think Criterion will be just kicking themselves that they weren't able to make this deal uh, 4k restoration from the original camera negative by Aerofilm specifically for this release. With um, amazing audio remix, lossless DTS. I mean, this is as good as you will ever see The Apartment. I saw it in school in a nitrate print. Yeah. And I got to tell you, you watch this thing in HD, it's as close as it gets. Uh, it's just absolutely beautiful. Uh, video essays, uh, featurettes, uh, all kinds of stuff on here. A uh, film historian named Bruce Block does an audio commentary. Um it's absolutely wonderful. The the whole everything about this is just terrific, and you even get a one hundred and fifty page um, book with, with including new writing by Neil Sinyard, Cat uh, uh, Ellinger, Travis Crawford, and uh, and Heather he, Heather Hike Hitch not sure how to pronounce it, mm. uh, with all kinds of illustrations from uh, from the movie. It's great. Uh, absolutely great. So I, I can't recommend this highly enough. This is one of the best sets ever for a Best Picture winner.
1: Yeah, yeah. One year, uh, about a year or so after something like it hot, I guess. Yeah. Something like that.
0: And the last two here are both uh, kind of time-travel-y themed things. One of them is a classic. The other one is not. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Well, okay. <laughs> In a way. So, so uh, we have the uh, the long-awaited, because it was delayed once, the 4K uh, release, the 4K Blu-ray release of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh, it's kind of, you know, I mean, it's got a lot of uh, stuff on it. It's beautiful. It's 4K, and it's got, you know, extras and whatnot, deleted scenes and, uh, the, you know, the T2 30-minute making of featurette and all that stuff. Um, th- what it also has is three different versions of the film yeah. which I'm grateful for because that got really old really quickly I don't know if you remember but they were like they come out with one version then six months later another version and at a certain point there were all these different versions of T2 floating around mm-hmm. and it was impossible to sort. and I was collecting one had a tin and the other one came in the thing and I was so annoyed by that and I've got some three or four of them myself it's ridiculous here we go they're all on here they're All on. It. so just yeah. get yourself your 4K Ultra HD set and you're done with it and you don't have to worry about that crap ever again uh, I don't recommend anybody watch this thing in 3D, which, honestly, which this doesn't happen <laughs> There was anyway. no reason
1: to do that back in 1990, whenever No, there, that was all no, after the fact. All, but no bad.
0: you got to mention your. You your, have to. Yor, the hunter from the future. Reb! 35th anniversary. Reb! Reb Brown, who was in an absolutely <laughs> terrible movie that I had to review on Film Week last week. Oh, that uh, nutty surge of power thing. Surge of power, yeah, where he's making all these, he's like making Captain America jokes. And I I want to scream. I'm like, nobody remembers him playing Captain America. They do remember him playing Yore. So I was a theater usher at the theater that opened Yore in Westwood, California, which no longer exists. The theater, not Westwood. And I remember the Italian producers of this who thought they had themselves an Academy Award winner or something. I remember them showing (laughs) up and speaking Italian in the lobby, and they were so excited for their Yore 100 from the Future movie. And I had seen the thing at a sound check. Like a couple of days before, and and yeah. I remember they were sitting there thinking they had a great movie on their hands, and I wanted to cry. Really? I wanted to cry for them. Huh, Yor is a ridiculously campy, yes. silly movie. It's a, it's like he's a he's a caveman, and then they're like there's some futuristic society, a bunch of a look. All you need to know is at one point Yor actually hang glides yeah. using the the body of a dead pterodactyl. Yes, I can't, And the music. Oh my gosh! It's the well,
1: There was a, there a run of these films, the Beastmaster films, and yeah, the, you know, the uh, crawl and you know all. These,
0: there was a run. I don't know what it was. Early eighties. We this were... this <clears throat> thing is such a camp classic. I it's so ridiculous on so many levels. I don't even I don't even know where to go. the, the horrible wig that Red Brown is wearing, <laughs> it's just it's anyway. Red by the way.
1: Who, if you're paying attention to uh, the Captain American film Winter Soldier. Yes. Reb, uh, watch for the scene uh, with uh, Stan Lee. Yeah. Uh, the guy standing next to Stan. Yeah. Reb Brown.
0: I didn't know that. Well, there's a little. You learn something yeah. on this podcast every time. Mm-hmm. I should really get something to do. <laughs> anyway, all right. So, uh, Reb Brown does the commentary <laughs> on this, by the way, folks. And I got to tell you, the only reason. To get this is not for the movie; it's for Reb's commentary Reb. because you're gonna love it. Yeah. Anyway, all right, that's it. We're done this week. We will see you next week with uh, the big, the big uh, wrap for the uh, the LA Film Critics LA Awards, Film and, Film and Film. we will hear what wonderful things transpired from Tim. You won't hear it from me; I won't be there, but uh, Tim will give you the, the lowdown. Should